Don't you guys appreciate the worship team today? <coughs> Such a simple message, but just singing out to the Lord, great are you, Lord. You agree God deserves our praise, amen. I mean, he's so worthy. He deserves our praise. He deserves just our, uh, just the, the, the Bible says that if, if we don't sing, the rocks will cry out. I mean, the reality is if you're not worshiping, even creation worships the king because creation realizes the creator, the sustainer of life. And so today we're just joining a grand chorus of both people around the world as well as the entire creation celebrating God. So if you would today, can we just spend just a moment praying, just asking God for his presence, not only here in this place, but to be powerful today. God, we just pray that you would allow something great to happen today as we open up your word and as you teach us. And God, I just pray for <clears throat> this season, the season of Thanksgiving. And God, I pray that all of us in this room would count our blessings, that no matter what we're going through or what we're facing today, God, that we would we would choose to focus on the things that you have given us, the things that you have been so generous with. And God, for the times where we act more like discontented children, God, would you forgive us for those moments, those times where we look around and compare and compete rather than simply worship and be grateful. And so God, would you convict us today, <clears throat> allow your spirit just to work strongly in this place. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> All right, if you have your Bibles. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 25, and uh, we're in this series on living beyond. What does it mean to, to, to live beyond, to give beyond, to, to be people who are faithful to God? And uh, we've talked about debt, we've talked about uh, financial fear, and today we're talking about the mindset of mine, the mindset of mine. And I'm going to go through a long parable that Jesus told. I'm going to read the entire parable at the beginning, and then I'm going to make some application, and then later in the message you're going to hear another testimony from a family from Axis. So Matthew chapter 25 verse 14. It'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two talents gained two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man with two talents came. He said, Master, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man at harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I had not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, has will be given more, and he who will have will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw the worthless servant outside into darkness 
where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, this is a, a powerful story about God's ownership of everything. And when I read this parable and I read what happens in this story, you have to put yourself in the story and say, which one am I? Am I five talent, meaning money I was given, resources? Some of you all have been given a lot. You've used those resources well. Some of you kind of have a medium pile of resources, and you've used those well. And some have a smaller pile, but maybe you used them, or maybe you didn't use them, or maybe you were afraid, and so you simply hoarded them. These are the, uh, the, the elements in this story, and I want to go through and tell you some principles, just some very basic principles from this parable of the talents. Now, there is something very uncomfortable about this, because when we start talking about it, uh, and we look at these simple truths, I, I pray they're going to penetrate us in some way, but here, here's the first one. God has generously entrusted his resources to you, so be grateful. So be grateful. That's the first truth in this parable. God has generously entrusted his resources to you, so be grateful. He has given things to you. And I've got to tell you the truth. Notice this parable does not say managing your resources. There's nowhere in there that it says these are your resources. This is your money. In fact, the very first verse in the story says his master entrusted what? His property to them. And while that is probably the smallest word in this passage, it's probably the most significant word. He entrusted his resources to them. Not a very big word, but it has a lot to do with ownership. And friends, if you could just understand this one principle, I'm telling you it will change your perspective forever about your possessions or what you think are your possessions and what you think you own. If we can understand it. See, the problem is this goes counter to everything that we think. We think of our stuff in terms of our stuff. We don't think of it in terms of it belonging to God. And this happens from very early on. How many of you have ever had a two-year-old? Raise your hand. You ever had a two-year-old? <clears throat> you know, first of all, the mindset of mine very well. All right? These beautiful, angelic children, so sweet, so cuddly, so loving. Suddenly, when you take something of theirs, what happens? I mean, it is like the exorcism. I mean, it's ridiculous. They love to say it's mine. They love to grab their toy back. If you take their Thomas the Tank Engine, be prepared for a temper tantrum. It's, and, and, and here's the thing. When it's a two-year-old, we sort of understand it. But in adults, it's sort of distasteful. It's my house, it's my car, it's my clothes, it's my account, it's my money, it's my stuff, it's mine. And so we have a hard time releasing control to God. And it's not just with money, it's with other things in our life too, by the way. We have a hard time releasing things to the, to the sovereignty of God. And notice I said it, it, that it is His and He's entrusted you, so be grateful. Be grateful. Well, this week is Thanksgiving week, and I think one of the exercises that would be great for all of us to do was take stock of what you actually have in your life, right? I mean, just write down this week just all the blessings that you have in this life. Because I can tell you what, I hear so many negative messages, and you do too. Everywhere is a negative message, negative message on the media, negative message on social media, negative messages on Facebook. All the time we're bombarded with negativity, and yet we are in the most abundant place in the world. And God is so, so great gracious. I think we should just be thankful. 
And friends, when there are some problems that happen when we don't release control to God, one of them is it leads to stress. When I think it's my stuff, then I, I really have this sort of ownership of my stuff, and I get stressed out when my stuff is not well taken care of. It is so freeing when I go, that is God's stuff. That is His resource. If I drive by on the highway and I see a car pulled over at the side of the road and there's no one there, but there's a car there, it doesn't really bother me too much. I don't even think about it that much. But when I drive by a car and it happens to be a a Traverse, which is Lisa's car, and if Lisa's standing there, I have a lot more concern because I understand who's involved. I understand who's there. I don't even notice the other because it doesn't belong to me. And so this car, I think, well, it belongs to me, therefore I'm stressed out about it. And friends, I'm saying this, that God has simply entrusted you with resources, and you should really look at that as a gracious thing, a grateful thing. And uh, Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, the rich man has so much that he stays awake worrying. So turn your possessions over to God. Say, God, this belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. It'll be, it'll be less stress in your life. Second thing is it leads to selfishness. When we get this ownership issue wrong, it leads to selfishness. I think these things are mine, and, and I don't want to share them, but if I understand they really belong to God, I'm a lot more willing to be unselfish and to release because I know God's going to reward those who give back. It also leads to low self-esteem. I know a lot of people that have their identity tied into what they do for a living as well as their possessions. Remove their possessions and their, their identity, their self-esteem plummets. I don't feel good about myself when my neighbor drives in his garage with a Corvette. And it doesn't make us feel good. But you realize, hey, it's God's anyway. So I can be okay. <clears throat> and the last thing is it leads to discontentment. That's another thing that happens when you get this ownership issue wrong. It leads to discontentment because I'm going to compare myself to somebody else. And guess what? We never compare down. We always compare up, don't we? We never compare down and say, wow, look at how little they have. And boy, God, I'm so thankful you've just blessed us so much. In two weeks, Hannah and I are going to go to El Salvador. And uh, we have an opportunity to go with Jose and the mission at Lifeline. And so I'm going to do some leadership teaching. Hannah's going to recruit children to be part of a child sponsorship program. And one of the reasons I wanted her to go, all of our kids wanted to go, but we'll just take one at a time, right? And and <clears throat> but that she's going to go door to door and with another family, and they're going to meet individuals. And I think it's going to be eye-opening for her because she's going to see some things around the world. And here's one thing I've noticed. She's going to see people that are more content, more happy, more satisfied in life than the average person that she meets at high school. I guarantee it because I've seen it happen. And instead of comparing down, we always compare up, and it leads to discontentment. We see this in other people. You guys ever been in the uh, grocery store and there's a child who throws a temper tantrum because they didn't get something they wanted? And we see it and we obviously notice it and immediately we think, what's wrong with that kid? I can't believe that child would do that. What's wrong with their parents? Here's my point. It's very easy to see discontentment in somebody else's life. It's very hard to see good discontentment in the mirror. It's very hard. When you see somebody else, even as an adult, and they're complaining all the time about what they don't have in life, 
you could look at that and say, that person is so not contented. You could see it easily through the window, but you can't see discontentment very well through the mirror. It's very difficult to see yourself and to say, I'm not being content. So I'm just challenging you today. You have to begin to see these resources as God's because they are his. And here's the second thing. One of the things that's uncomfortable about this story is God does not distribute his resources uh, evenly. So you have to be content with that. That's another truth that, I, that maybe we're a little uncomfortable with because here in America we think, well, maybe everybody should just be on a level playing field. But notice in the story, he gives five talents to one, two to another, and one to another. And it's tough for us to understand what a talent is. Some people say, uh, when they have researched this, that it's about 15 years worth of wages. So let's say you have a modest job in our economy today. You get paid 10 bucks an hour. 15 years would be around $300,000. So one talent, $300,000 by today's standard, modestly. That's a lot of money. Two talents, 600000 And uh, five talents, what is that? A million and a half? And uh, that's a lot of money. And the point is, whether it's one talent or five talents, we're talking about a lot of money here that this owner has entrusted to these individuals. Now, maybe we would have made it even. We would have just said, let's make it all equal because it doesn't seem fair. After all, the Bible says all men are created equal. Actually, that's not in the Bible. That's in the Declaration of Independence. But it seems like it should be in the Bible, right? Because and those of you who didn't know that, you should know that, man. Come on. You should know your Bible. But anyway, so here's, here's the thing. We think, boy, everything should be fair. But this owner gave according to each ability, and it's not up to those who maybe didn't get the five talents to question the generosity of the sovereignty of the owner. Comparing, friends, is the enemy of contentment. Comparing is the enemy of contentment. I read a survey that asked people if they'd achieved the American dream. People who made $25,000 or less, not surprisingly, 95% of them said they had not yet achieved the American dream. That seems about right. But they asked people who made $75,000 or more, have you achieved the American dream? 94% of them said, we have not. The point is, no matter what you have, it seems like the American dream or fulfillment is just out of our reach. We think contentment is one more promotion, one more purchase away. Friends, it isn't. In fact, I have learned that oftentimes the more you have, the more discontented you become. You see, money is like every other desire. The more you feed it, the stronger it grows. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, if you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get all you want. It's useless. You'll never get to that point where you're going to find contentment if you're seeking it in money. See, friends, I think the problem for a lot of us is we are constantly bombarded with advertising messages that simply tell us you need to have more. Sylvia Potter cited a study from 1970, and she said that at the time, Americans could think of 96 things they wanted and that they could identify 16 of those things as needs. 96 things they wanted, 16 of those were needs. She applied the same study today. She said that Americans could think of more than 600 things that they wanted and could identify more than 100 of them as necessities. And friends, have you not seen this in your own family? Have you not seen this in your own children? I mean, back in our day, right, back when we didn't have seatbelts, back when your mom would stick you on the dashboard and say, hey, it's good enough, right, amen? 
Our, our seatbelt was our mother's arm, and uh, that was back in our day, back before we had wiping, back before we had uh, disinfectant, really, and uh, back before when we had this uh, pleasant um, uh, little vaccine or whatever that would cause a nice little feeling, we had something called, what was it? Yeah, that, that stuff, and uh, man, it was purple or orange, and it burned the snot out of you. There's no, there's no uh, bacteria that's going to live anywhere near that stuff, but this is back in our day, all right? Well, I think back in our day, we didn't have cellular telephones. What did we have? We had rotary phones, right? For some of you guys, you pulled them off the wall like Andy Griffith, right? And uh, we didn't have three or four cars. You had a family car. Might have two. Uh, back in our day, you might have a big old TV, but what would happen? You'd actually have to get out of your seat and turn the knob. It's hard to believe, guys. I know. But, man, today you have to have... You have to have a phone a certain type, and you gotta, you have to have certain apps on that phone. You have to have certain possessions in your life, and you have to have a laptop computer on and on and on. And what used to be seen as luxuries are now seen as necessities, and what happens is we buy more and more and more. There's nothing against those things, but here's the, here's the thing. If you're seeking contentment in stuff, you will never be contented. The moment you buy an iPhone 7, it's iPhone 8. And the very moment you buy iPhone 8, it's iPhone 10. And immediately go, wow, I, I could throw this thing in water. Mine can't be thrown in water. You know what's funny? I've had rich friends tell me many times, money doesn't buy happiness. Money doesn't buy happiness. And I usually smile and say, yeah. I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, yeah, that's what all the rich people have agreed to tell us to make us feel better about ourselves, you know. Because in some ways it seems like it does buy happiness. I mean, you buy it, you drive that new car, it kind of makes you happy. You move into that dream home, kind of makes you happy. Going that exotic vacation makes you happy. But the problem is it's not true happiness. It's not lasting happiness. And, you know, when you experience it, it might be good for the moment. What happens is it doesn't satisfy for the long run. In the end, you still feel empty if all of your life is built on possessions. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 says, listen to this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it, but we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil. For some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I love the simple truth of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In other words, friends, if you don't just, don't seek possessions. You have the king of the universe at your disposal you have God in your life, a God who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. No possession in your life will ever satisfy the way that I can satisfy you and be content with that. And here's the last thing. I think all of us need to know you will be held accountable for God's resources, so be intentional. The story teaches us it's not about how much you have, it's about what you do with what you've been entrusted with. And the most important truth of this story, Jesus tells us, is that one day we will be accountable for God's resources, so be intentional. Now, a lot of us, we just want to live through life. Gonna go, I just don't want to make any mistakes. I, I don't want to make any mistakes financially. I want to take the safe 
course. I, I, don't, I just want to kind of prepare and a little bit, but I'm not going to really see it as God's. I'm just going to kind of pay my bills and go along my way. But notice the two words that the master uses here. Puts them together. He calls him a wicked, lazy servant. And that is kind of an unusual pairing, I think. Because laziness doesn't seem like wickedness, but he puts them together. I mean, it's not like this guy embezzled money. It's not like he wasted money buying Ginsu knives on an infomercial. But seriously, that thing does cut through shoes. I mean, it's really, it's really ridiculous. But, but it's not like he was wasting the money or embezzling. He just buried it. I, I, in fact, I was fascinated to read that in the early church, someone rewrote this parable and in the parable, they changed one thing. Instead of having the one-talent man, man bury it, they said he wasted his resources on harlots and flute players. That seems like kind of a random thing to say, but some people tried to reinterpret this that way. That's the worst thing I could think of, harlots and flute players. But, but we've got to be intentional with the resources God has entrusted to us. He did not steal it, but he, he didn't use it. The problem for many of us is that we have taken money and finances and possessions, and we've kind of created a silo that says, this is my financial life, and we've created another silo that says, this is my spiritual life, and we've separated those things. And instead of saying, God, you own all of me, you own every part of me, we have held back from the Lord many parts of our lives. You remember when you were in high school, one of the most common questions you'd ask the teacher is, is this going to be on the test? Remember that? And they would get up on the, the math teacher on the board and, or your history teacher, and they would be putting information. You really weren't engaging until you asked, is this going to be on the test? And the moment they say, now, students, this is going to be on the test, everybody starts going note-take crazy. This will be on the test. Friends, listen to me. Every single one of us, this will be on the test. You cannot miss this. You will be accountable for how you use God's resources in your life. Do you believe the Bible is true? If you do, then you have to believe the truth of this parable that we will be held accountable for both how we lived our life as well as how we use God's resources in our lives. We're not talking about managing your resources. We're talking about managing His resources. The Bible says in Psalm, I mean in Proverbs 21.5, plan carefully and you'll have plenty. If you act too quickly, you'll never have enough. So I'm just saying plan your resources, your, the resources God's entrusted to you. Plan those resources. We've already talked about this, but plan to get out of debt. Work through that process. Save. As you spend, spend wisely and give. Give back to the Lord. I want to ask today, Stephen and Caroline, you guys are going to be excited about them coming up today. Would you guys welcome them? They're going to share a little about how God has done this in their life. expects you to do something with them and you have to trust him and trust him with your finances and you get to make the plans and you make the decisions and um, i think a lot of people have been very careful we've been very early 
All the bills are paid, and you know, I had a ten dollar bill, and uh, that that came in, and I was able to give up my marriage and give up that uh, BS thing to give up my my job that I no longer thought I would have. It's a very nice feeling that no one wants to give up. I I feel that that it's a very very high reward, but I. city and moved from Baltimore to Chicago to raise Joey up. No family. He did have some friends and some family to raise him, but session, and he allowed us, we sold our house in one week for collateral. He provided for us on the other end an apartment sight unseen that was like this amazing apartment with these lakefront views, blah, 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 for $200 less per month than than what it should have been for him to give us. Otherwise, we could not have afforded even that. And it paid off all of our debt.
everybody. Huh? <laughs> so it's not just money, right? One of the amazing things that happened was um, I suffered with depression for many years, and um, and when we moved to Chicago, the Lord actually began a process of radical healing for that depression and just began to just take take that away. So the journey actually continued. Um, and um, so I decided that um, after many years I was going to go and do a master's degree program and, and not that I was going to do the one that was the easiest or the least expensive, but God challenged me to go for the one that I really wanted. Um, and so I got into Pepperdine University, um, their master's degree program. And uh, um, anybody who knows anything about Pepperdine, you know that that's a lot of money. Um, but one of the amazing things that happened was that the Lord, we were praying, well, I was praying uh, one day, and the Lord just put it in my heart um, that uh, if I just begin to just praise him and just begin to thank him. And I just began to thank the Lord as if someone knocked on my door and wrote a check and handed it over. And I'm thanking God for everything. I'm like, thank you for, um, thank you for, you know, uh, spending money for when I go to France. And, you know, thank you for, you know, every single thing. Thank you for every single book that you're going to pay for. Thank you for everything, everything. And I just and, and it was such faith that he just welled up in my heart. And what was amazing about that is that God then began a process of sending us thousands of dollars. And I'm not saying that because it sounds kind of weird, right, that God would begin sending money your way. But God actually began that process. So I want, um, there were two things that we really wanted to say, you know, out of all of this is that, you know, we have seen that giving is actually an act of worship. It's a posture of saying, thank you so much for everything you have given us. And when we see, when we see giving in that way, it completely transforms the weirdness of, oh, they're just trying to get in my pocket. Instead, it's, it's our ability to give back to an amazing God. And when we've done that, we've seen God just over and over and over again just bless. Um, the other thing is that, um, is that we've seen it as an act of trust to God. And when things come up, the practicality is, is that we, get in, we sit down and we get in bed and we begin to just cry out to God. When stuff comes up because it's not ours, it's his, we begin to give it back to him and say, God, it's yours, so therefore you tell us what to do. Um, and the very last thing is that um, we orient our financial decisions around our income and our giving. So our giving is a foregone conclusion. And so whatever else comes or has to be bought has to be done with the rest. And so that's kind of one of the things that we've, uh, we've done. So, you know, ultimately this is his story and not ours. And so we're just excited to be along for the ride because we wouldn't trade this for anything. So. I asked Stephen and Caroline to come up because uh, two weeks ago when we started this message series, you know how Caroline is, you know, she grabs me like, wow, this is 
God is so good, you know, I mean, like, so excited, I'm blown away, you know, and I was like, you have to just tell people how good God is, because they expect me to tell people how good God is, right, that's my job, right, that's what people think, but, um, but man, it's so good to hear from other people about how good God is, and if you want to talk to them more about their story, you certainly can do that, and I want to close by telling you uh, a little story that I, I pray and hope is going to really put this all together here, it's really told by a guy named Chip Ingram, He's a young pastor in Texas. His chairman of the elders named John took him out to eat at a really expensive restaurant one time in Dallas, Texas. And Chip knew that John had some money, but uh, he didn't know how much, and, and, and he just knew he had quite a bit. And they sat down at this restaurant, and John turned to Chip, and he said, Listen, I have something I want to propose to you. He said, I have a desire, and you have an opportunity, and I want us to make a deal. So John pulled out his checkbook, and he explained to Chip that God had blessed him with making a lot of money. And and however, he hadn't become a Christian until later in life, and so he felt like he had some making up to do with the Lord, and he really wanted to make a difference in the lives of individual people. He wanted to show them the love of Jesus. And so he had a company to run, he said, so I don't have time, and I don't know all the people that are in need, but you do. So he said, Chip, I'm going I'm to give you this checkbook. It's labeled Pastor's Discretionary Fund, and he said, if you ever see anybody in need, you meet that need with this. If you see somebody who's hurting, you show them the love of Jesus by giving to them. And, and, he, and he said, I want to ask you this question, John said. I just want you to ask, when you do this, what would, what would John want me to do with this money? And so Chip took that checkbook, and he went home, and every day he put that checkbook in his pocket. He walked around, and he just said, what would John want me to do with this money? And every few months, the two of them would get together, and Chip would have uh, dinner with him again. and would just tell John the stories of what had happened, how he had helped a runaway teenager, and turn the electricity back on for a family, just different stories. And he started to see what brought John joy. And so as he saw the things that brought John joy, those things that really got his heart going, he, he started to kind of find those things more often. And he realized the things that really got him motivated. And so Chip would be more strategic with the resources. He'd use them in a way and uh, that would really learn John's heart. And then with time, he began to really look forward to that time of accountability because he was so careful with the money. He said he wasn't that good with his own money, but with John's money, he was great with that. And he watched every penny because he knew it didn't belong to him. And then he said something unexpected happened throughout this whole process. Not only did they build a good friendship together, but they realized that together they were able to do a lot for the kingdom of God. And here's what I want to tell you. That when Chip had John's checkbook, it totally changed his perspective. And I want to tell you all that you have resources. Resources to meet needs, resources to help people, resources to pay your own bills, resources to resource the kingdom, resources to, to take care of your family. God has given you all of that because he loves you. And he has given you so many principles in the scripture. And he just says, would you just walk around day in and day out and just ask yourself, what would God want me to do with this? What would God want me to do with this? How can I be the best manager of his resources? Next week, we're going to talk about generosity. It's going to be the last message in this series. As we do that, we're going to make plans for next year. And we're going to set aside, we're going to say on these cards of kind of faith promise cards, God, this is what we want to give in 2018. And this is how we want to reorient our finances and and uh, you'll get those uh, this week in, in the mail. But as you do that, would you 
Would you not dread the accountability that comes with giving back to the Lord? Instead, look forward to that time where you get to spend with the Lord. That time where you get to say, God, we give of our very best to you. And I want to ask you one last thing. The issue of making Christ the Lord and Savior of our life does not just involve one aspect of your life. It involves every aspect of your life. So just for a minute, I want to, I want to pray quietly with you, all right? Then we're going to lead into a time of communion. We're going to use that as an opportunity to do some self-assessment to say, God, what is the area of my life that I'm holding back from you? What is some area of my life that I really do need you to be Lord of my life? Some guilt, some past, some resource, some talent, some ability, some friendship, some relationship. What is it that you're holding back? So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. We'll spend a moment thinking about what is that thing? it seems like a lot of us want you to be savior of our lives we want to be saved from the pit we want to be saved from sin we want to be offered heaven when we die we don't want to go to hell we want we want you to be savior but part of being savior is that you're lord lord means you own it lord means you have authority lord means we're accountable and so god in those areas in our life where we look at and say where are we or where do we need to to offer up uh, this area for the authority and the sovereignty of God. Where is it in our life that we're still holding on rather than releasing? Whatever that is, God, I pray that you would allow us to, to truly spend time turning that over to you, God, both in our prayer life, praying, God, that you would do something great with our, with our life. God, that you do have the ability to help us overcome the challenges. God, I thank you for the stories of faith that we've heard during this series of people who've trusted you and have come out on the other side. It hasn't always been easy, but it's been good. God, now we take communion as a way to remember the great sacrifice that you have given for us on the cross. And as we do this, God, I pray that we'd be open about every, every issue in our life that, that needs adjustment. And then I pray that we do this with thanksgiving, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.